Size is still family-oriented and we care about the people, we care about the employees, and that makes us strong. On the other hand, we are a high-tech company and we want to serve for a purpose. Embrace the technology, embrace the trends, and do not think that they are evil. Now we are at the point where we try to have a better understanding of work-life balance. It doesn't really matter when you do your job or where, it matters that you are empowered to do so. Love it, change it or leave it. I believe that if you love the things you do, you will succeed. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Karsten Trapp, who is the head of corporate IT at Carol Zeiss AG. A very warm welcome, Karsten. Thank you, Hendrik. My pleasure to be here and talk to you. Karsten, you have more than 25 years of experience uh, and you started your career at Merck Group. Uh, you worked also in companies as Altana, Pharma and SIG AG. And in 2017, you joined Zeiss. Since 2020, you have been appointed the head of corporate IT. So, Karsten, we've known each other for quite some time already, but give me some background. What is, uh, tell us a little bit more who you are and how did you arrive in this position as CIO? Yeah, Hendrik, you know, um, when I was young, I was hooked to IT. Like, uh, I got my, my first computer in ground school. And, uh, mm -hmm. I got it from my parents. And then, uh, you know, I was totally hooked to IT. From there on, I have only been doing IT my entire life. So from, from IT into digital, into programming, and then, of course, uh, into the real IT and uh, digital world, I would say. As you said, I started in the pharmaceutical industry. I spent there a couple of years and then moved into the discrete manufacturing industry. And there was also the time when I was really learning IT in an organization, how that is going to be, how it is supposed to be, and things like that. And then I moved um, over here to the Carl Zeiss Group. I started in their Meditech business, which is sort of life science comparable to pharmaceutical, at least a little bit. And then um, when I was there two years, I then was asked by the executive board whether I would be interested in or willing to take over all of IT which then, of course, I was willing in, and then uh, that was about uh, one and a half years ago now. Okay. And tell us a little bit more. I mean, uh, Carl Zeiss Group is a big group. What is it? 35,000 people, 6 billion of revenue. Give us some no more numbers. And what is it that the company does and, and, and does really, really well? You know, the, the company is very, very well known in Germany and going beyond Germany as well. And we're having our 175th anniversary this year in November. So we're on the market for quite a while. So of course we are fairly well known. What is, what is the beauty, if you ask me, is that uh, it's an organization given that size, is, which is still, uh, let's say, family oriented and we, we still feel like a family here. We care about the people, we care about the employees and that makes us strong, if you ask me. On the other hand, we are a high-tech company and we want to serve for a purpose. 
again, take, a take the example of the medical industry. We provide stuff or we provide machines or, or instruments that are trying to help you getting healed or get, getting, getting some, some things corrected or something like that. So it's, it's for the good for, for mankind or for, for the patient, let's say. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes us strong, makes the company strong and uh, uh, makes us also feel like a big family in the organization. On top of that, we are high tech with respect to, we are the company that is providing the machinery or the, 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 the in, in, inlay of, of machines that are for the semiconductor business. So without us, uh, chips cannot be produced, let's say. Okay, so you have different, I understand, four different business units. Medical is one business unit. Which are the three other ones then? The three other ones are then the, the commercial unit. So there we talk about um, glasses or binoculars and uh, telescopes. Uh, no, mm -hmm. not necessarily telescopes, but, but object objectives for cameras and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we have the, the industrial metering measuring systems. We have the semiconductor and we have our medical division. Okay, but it's, it's, it's really a global company now. I understand yes. you're in more than 200 locations, correct? Yeah, it's more than 200 locations. And as you said, um, about 35,000 people or a little bit more than that with um, 6 billion in, in revenue or maybe a little bit more than that. Yes, but uh, very well acknowledged. Yes. Okay. So like any organization, I can imagine that that Carol Zeiss uh, AG is, is, is under pressure. Pressure to, um, to better serve the client, to be cost effective, to make sure that they're not disrupted in, in the different categories where they're, uh, they're active in. So, so the way that you look at, what are the, the major drivers of change in your organization today? I, I think there are a number of or a couple of drivers, but let me focus on primarily three drivers. One is technology trends, technology trends itself or themselves. Um, they're, you know, they're essential or a, a, a essential driver for change as they're, they're enabling us to do things in a different way than it has been in the past. The other one is, let's say, regulatory things. Um, take a look back over the last three to five years, for example, how often has um, information security or cybersecurity or data protection been in the news or in public speeches by politicians and things like that. And how many changing laws do we see nowadays reflecting this kind of, uh, of, 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 of setups of, of, of laws and things like that. And the third one then per se would be speed. Being it because of the technology or being it the general perception or general requirement for speed that things need to get faster, reactions need to get faster, customers or companies are supposed to react faster. So it's speed, regulatory environments, and technology trends, which I would see are the primary three trends, if you want me to quote three of them. Okay. And how is, how is the business responding to these challenges today? What is, what are, what's the strategy to make sure that, that you use the right technology at the right moment, that you follow the necessary regulatory requirements and, and that, you have, that you have the right speed uh, of, of change and, and innovation? Um, 
Although, although it is a fairly general question, mm -hmm. I would say um, we're a high-tech company, so of course also our role of IT is to embrace technology, to embrace mm -hmm. trends and find out what's good for the corporation, what's good for the company, what can it do for us or cannot, and where should we invest in, where should we play around with that, and uh, is this a technology or a technology trend that can finally help us be better, be faster, do a better job, an easier job, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, with, with respect to uh, regulatory, uh, we're also asked, and it is, we're mandated, I would say, to do the things right. Like, you know, if you do things right in the beginning and do proper documentation of things, it is a lot easier to prepare for an audit, to prepare for an incident or a severe adverse event or something like that, mm -hmm. it always goes back to do the things right that you do, document them properly, and make sure that you have the right technology, the right projects in place to reflect the future, to reflect what's coming next, or to reflect on what is being required by authorities, by users, or by other organizations. So it's embrace the technology, embrace the trends, and do not fear them, do not think that they are evil. Yeah. Now, I can imagine that size also needs to reinvent their business on, 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 a, on a regular basis. So, so could you give maybe an example on, on how size is innovating, reinventing the business in order to be faster, in order to use the right technologies at the right time? Yeah. Also a difficult question, you know, of course we try to leverage technology, technology to be faster or to be more precise or, or whatever, you know, we could go into the angle of artificial intelligence helping mm -hmm. us here with a technology trend to do things easier, smoother or something like that. Or we could go into uh, the other direction where we say uh, we got to just be faster or easier to deal with or make things better for the customer, for the user. One of the, one of the examples here would be, why not use um, CPQ, configure price quote. If you want to configure one of our systems with thousands of configurations or parts built in there, you know, we could go into an Excel list and do check marks on various items, or we can have a, a beautiful interface for the user or for the customer who then can click on certain things, you know, how do I want that configuration, sort of like comparable to the automotive industry. Okay. Now, reinventing the business is something that every organization is doing nowadays, and, and, and the core element in there is, is basically reinventing, reorganizing the way that we work. And that's a key pillar, I think, in, in today's business transformation. So that's what I wanted to focus on in, in this first part of our conversation. And I wanted to address three different dimensions of that. I wanted to uh, talk with you about workplace, how we can modernize the way that we, that we organize the workplace, the workforce, our people, how is that transforming? And then the workflows, the processes, how can we automate them and use the, the latest technology in that, uh, in that area? So let's, let's first focus on workplace. How is, has the workplace changed at size if you look at it today compared to two or three years ago? And how do you think it will change in the, in the coming uh, future? 
Well, Hendrik, we call this a modern workplace or workplace of the future or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, I, I have to admit that um, most speed got into that topic during the COVID crisis. So the, the modern workplace or organization of the modern workplace is also a technology on the one hand, you know, take the workplace as it is, which then was moved from corporate offices more and more into home office environment, let's say. Yeah. And uh, there was certainly technology underneath like architecture infrastructure stuff that made it all happen and provided that surface for users to work from home. But then on the other hand, you know, there is also the technology with video, with audio, which is into the entire field of how to collaborate in future. Is it even necessary to be at the corporate office anymore? Or is there stuff or what is the stuff that you can do from home, from a hotel room or from wherever you want to be? This yeah. is what we see as modern workplace with the technology, with the, with the client, with the collaboration software, but then also with the mindset change uh, uh, where do you want to work? Are we supporting this kind of remote work, work from home, and uh, give the, 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 the people the liberty to work from there, from where they want to work, and not sacrificing ideation and, and, and small meetings and things like that. As you know, it, it all has ups and downs, you know. If you're like working from home all day long, every day, you're getting socially isolated, I would say. Yes, you do have your video meetings and stuff, but it is different having a video meeting than going to the coffee maker, coffee machine, into the break area room or something, and actually meet people and talk about other stuff than uh, uh, work-related stuff and whether your Teams is working or not working, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what, is there a, a new corporate strategy or guidelines that people have to be in the office two days a week or depending on the job, of course. What, what are the, the general consensus uh, today in your organization? Or maybe, in, and we can take the example of your IT teams. What, is, what are the guidelines that you give your IT teams? You know, the, the, there are a, a million influencing factors, um, like mm -hmm. uh, what is the governance saying about that and, 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 and those kind of things. But uh, we're, we're trying really to loosen it up and, and make it more easy for the, for the staff themselves to decide what is good, what mm -hmm. what uh, my guidance in particular in corporate IT is not to stay at home every day, all day long, like five days per week. So um, get ready to show up at the office. This is one thing. And then the other thing also is um, don't be at the office five days per week. So it's mm -hmm. sort of a, a balanced mixture. And I would say we're probably going to a percentage between 25 and 50% of the people being at corporate offices. Mm -hmm. uh, in IT, it might be a little bit less than in other administrative areas probably, while in, in the production fields, of course, we have a 100% of people staying at, uh, at the production facilities, for example. Yeah. So that, that will be something, uh, find the right balance of people in-house and people working from home. We have proven that this is going to be working fine. So that is probably the way to go, the balance of coming together, respecting health and safety. And then on the other hand, uh, while you work from home, also make sure not to get isolated or fully isolated. Yeah. So if people only show up in the office between 25 and 50%, so that means that you have 
uh, a lot of uh, office space available. Does that also mean that you're going to reorganize the workplace? I mean, that there's more places for collaboration and, and more fun places, I don't know. Or are you going to reduce the square meters that you're going to use? What's the, what's the strategy there? We've certainly played around with that um, prior to the COVID crisis and, and come up with plans on desk sharing and things like that, or meeting areas, working areas, and, and these kind of things. But again, here, mm -hmm. speed is really coming into this uh, during or because of the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that we're not uh, giving away square meters or something like that. They may be, they may be even then used for uh, production areas, for example. But um, um, we also have to respect um, safety and security health-wise here, that uh, if people are at the office space, that they have enough room um, not to be, you know, too close or sitting too close to each other. So that yeah. is not going to save us a lot of square meters, if you ask me. But yes, the, the, the places we have will be renovated, modernized, or rearranged to reflect more this uh, come and go or off and on mentality, yes. Okay, now let's talk about your workforce. I understand that you already have, I mean, you're a global company, 200 locations. I can also imagine, and we'll talk about that later, that your IT teams are, are around, the, uh, around the world. Now that the work, the office has become less important and being there all the time is less important, does that also mean that you will recruit in a different way, that, that people can in the end be wherever they want and they can work out of, of, of different locations? Or do you still want the, your corporate IT teams, for instance, to be close, uh, close around you? How, how do you look at the way that your workforce is transforming nowadays? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go into both extreme areas, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, you can work wherever you want to, that's probably not the point. And also, I'm not going to force you to be in Oberkochen at corporate campus or something like that. It's, it's, it's more like in between. And uh, now we are at the point where we, where we try to have a better understanding of work-life balance and respect that uh, it doesn't really matter when you do your job or where, yes. It, it, it matters that you are empowered to do so and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and make your own decision when would be the best time for you to do something, given your, your, your biorhythm, your family um, community, and all, all these kind of things, as, as this, this transformation is about empowerment, it is about transparency, but it is more like about um, a global collaboration, global mm -hmm. community collaboration, and let's say things like um, how to work together in networks, do networks and, and, and trust each other, do a better handshake. This is, this is probably what I see for the future that is, that is more like the mindset and, and, and the requirement to work in distributed global organizations and not at corporate headquarters or corporate offices in the office environment. Okay. Do you also see a trend in your organization in the diversity of your teams? I mean, different backgrounds, different, um, different genders and so on. And, and is, is that an attention point for you as well? Not necessarily as we speak today, as it has always been like this before. You know, mm -hmm. diversity is key, if you ask me in particular within, within IT. You know, you have like people 
all over the, 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 the globe that are IT people. And you just cannot say, I only want to have German speaking or, or people in Germany, and I mm -hmm. want them in Oberkochen, for example. This is just not going to work. And diversity is giving you a lot more opportunities that you can have in your IT team while you build those teams and get the, the best out of everybody else than um, for that entire team. Yeah. How easy is it to, to recruit top talent in, uh, in, in your organization today? And, and do you need to put in special programs to attract people? I mean, I, I don't know, with, uh, outside of the typical IT um, education or, or backgrounds? I think the difficulty is the same everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. um, in particular with IT people, IT people are not easily to, to recruit, you know. Mm -hmm. if, if you are an IT person, you can certainly decide upon where you want to work and what is the organization you are going to pick. So, mm -hmm. yes, uh, we do have, um, given the brand we have and, and the well-known company we are, we do have some advantages while recruiting. But on the other hand, uh, let's say an SAP expert uh, can go to SAP uh, to Waldorf or can go to many other organizations. And the same is with a Microsoft expert. You know, yeah. all the organizations look for the same talent. So if I were a talent, I would definitely uh, try to get the best uh, uh, work contract uh, there is for me personally. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why is it, I mean, let's take this opportunity. Why is it that people would come and work with, with, with your organization, with size and work in your teams? It's, it's probably going back to what I said earlier with the family-oriented organization. We still feel like a family. This is one mm -hmm. thing, you know, the, the company culture. But then on the other hand, and what got me hooked was um, the purpose. You know, I, I was hired in the medical division and, and I wanted to do something, something good, you know. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of helping people, helping patients. And, you know, that is a story that, that I was looking for. And, yep. and yes, I was, I was hooked there. And if you give people a purpose to work for or to live for, sometimes even more than working, uh, that is something where you can make a difference in comparison to some other organizations. Although, again, here, uh, there may be companies that tell the same story I do. Yeah. Now, workplaces are changing, the workforce is being transformed, but specifically also the way that we work, the workflows are changing and, and, and automation, we're in, in a, I would say, in the middle of, of, of a big new wave of automation with, with, with RPA, software robots, artificial intelligence, and, and, and so on. What's, where are you in, in, in that journey in, of that new wave of, uh, of automation? Yeah, being a tech company, and I have to admit, we got to play around with this kind of technology. And, and I would say we have all of this in place in, mm -hmm. in, in different levels of maturity. It's not that we have everything, it's all perfect, it's all working and stuff like that. We're still playing around with things. We do proof of concept here and there with different kinds of technologies like uh, uh, RPA, and there are various RPA service providers, I would say, that you could leverage and use, or AI and machine learning and all these kind of things, it's all there. And, and the point is, you know me long enough, uh, I'm always critical with that, 
Uh, now the point is, uh, this technology is now really starting to work. Like mm -hmm. we, we probably have been talking about workflow automation 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I remember uh, 20 years ago, sort of, I was, I was talking about electronic invoicing. You get an invoice and if this invoice is fine with the purchase order that was sent prior to that, it's, it's then going to be fully automatically, automatically booked in, 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 in the system. Yeah, it worked sometimes, um, sometimes maybe better, but uh, this is something we don't have to talk about uh, today anymore, you know. Today the technology is there, it's working. We have trained agents, robots, um, AI, machine learning that are doing these kind of things for you, uh, freeing up time for you to do various other things. So leverage that technology to, to embrace automation and don't see something evil within automation. Okay. I know that you're using the UiPath technology as well in, for, for RPA. Could you give an example of, of one of the, the coolest processes, of the coolest ways that you've automated processes with that? I could, but we're not there, there where I would say, you know, this is the process which is now productively running. That is in mm. particular something that you mentioned with UiPath, and yes, we are using it, where we are uh, um, doing showcases or use cases like that. Uh, we, have set, mm -hmm. we have set up a center of excellence or center of competence for using RPA, and uh, we have mm -hmm. also then engaged with UiPath for that to find what are the use cases which we have collected all over the globe uh, yep. that we want to do with this kind of technology with UiPath. And uh, during this proof of concept where we are, we see things that are working and aren't working, but I would not say, now let me give you an example that is really working great as yep. uh, we're not done yet. Okay. In software automation and robotic uh, uh, process automation, there's different categories. You have front office automation, you have back office automation, but you also have uh, a robot for everybody. The concept of, of, of everybody being able to build their own robots and automate their own personal tasks. What is your view on, on, on that aspect? Yeah, again, we use this kind of technology and I wouldn't say everyone should get his or her own robot, mm -hmm. but... Uh, um, Try again to understand um, the role of an agent or a robot here and what this thing is going to do for you. Find yeah. a way to leverage or get the most out of that to make your work life easier with that. This is where I would say there are specific tasks in the backend office that can be, uh, what would be a nice word for that, robotized. Mm -hmm. And then there are something in front office things as well or like, in, 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 in hotline things where uh, we already use bots to, to make sure that uh, once you go to or reach a real person agent, we have an understanding of what you want from us or what your yeah. actual problem or request is. Uh, try to see it from that angle and play around with that and see what you can do here. Yeah, but where, where is your thinking on, let's say, citizens' development? I mean, you're in a in high-tech environment, lots of clever people around, are very sophisticated with, with software and technology themselves. So how, what, what, what level of freedom do you want to give them and how do you make sure that that's, there's not a chaos 
created everybody doing their own thing and, and where business critical things are, are not standardized and under control. How do you manage that? Well, let's go outside for, for a minute, at least if you say like citizens and stuff like that, going outside a, a corporation. Um, and there are many movies about that that you could watch on TV or in the cinema. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that robots are going to play a role, um, be it in your household or be it uh, for like some things to help you with. And the example often is the elderly people and uh, where they may want to get addressed or where they want to get help for or with something. And that is something I would totally embrace. Mm -hmm. uh, the te technology is not necessarily there yet that everyone can get his or her own robot, but the mm -hmm. technology in the future will show this is probably the good way. As, as you all also know, um, the elderly population gets, gets bigger. You know, people mm -hmm. live longer and then they will get more and more, will need to get more and more support, and a robot might be helpful for there. And now, um, talking to your chaos thing, uh, there, is, there is a critical role that IT is, is, is playing in, in, in respect to that. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody got to control this chaos, and it, it is a question of, of, um, of the mandate, on the one hand, I would say, and then it's also a question of corporate governance on the other hand, you know, somebody has to put an umbrella over those things that are being developed, that are being put in place. And if mm -hmm. you ask me, uh, parole, this is typically also one of the roles of IT to put this umbrella over those things and supervise things, get them under control, get them monitored, get them documented and make sure that they don't interfere or that they do not create interdependencies that are not being manageable. So in workflow automation, also AI and, and machine learning is, um, can play an important part. Do you have examples in your organization where AI and machine learning is, is, is done in a, in, in a nice way? Yeah, like um, 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 take glasses, for example. We produce glasses and uh, they are produced out of raw material. And uh, we have now trained ML or deep, uh, deep learning to make sure once those glass is being put into production and uh, we're doing our job with that, um, that at the end of the inspection, quality assurance is supported by AI or by deep vision, deep learning, and make mm -hmm. sure that the glass is fine, even in a way that uh, um, the, the control inspector is, is, is supported by the way the, the machine algorithm is telling the, the supervisor there, you know, with this glass that is now coming, you should probably take a look uh, at this angle. I have seen something there which is out of the ordinary. Um, either give that hint or on the other hand, uh, sort this glass out, for example. This is we something we have in place where we have um, machine learning technology and algorithms um, really supporting and helping the production area, in particular with the quality assurance here. Okay. Let's talk a bit more about your uh, IT organization. I mean, you're head of corporate IT. So can you give me the picture how is IT and digital uh, organized in, in, uh, in Zeiss? Yeah, wonderful question. Um, I, I don't know whether you can do this right or wrong or 
I, I don't know. Um, the, the, the way we have done it is we have two separate organizations. One is called IT and one is called, let's say, digital. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're under one roof as we're uh, under the roof of the executive board. So mm -hmm. two units under one roof and um, we are like, um, say, shoulder to shoulder or hand in hand, as I would say, uh, for, for the simple reason that there are gray zones everywhere. Depending mm -hmm. on the topic you take a look at, uh, you cannot always clearly say this is a digital topic and this is an IT topic. Mm -hmm. You know, there is gray zones and, and the border should not or cannot be strict. It's more important, though, that at the end of the day, both organizational units work together and know that they have to work together to come up with a common solution, which will be in the, de in the development phase in the beginning, but then afterwards in the operational phase, and we have to work together. This is um, following that story why we have called this the digital powerhouse. Mm -hmm. As we do not want to say it's the, it's the old IT world and then it's the, the new digital world. I know uh, this is in the press, this is, everyone talks about it, but uh, we do not want to talk like that, uh, uh, want to talk about this like that, as we mm -hmm. do see two units that belong to each other, that are connected to each other, and also have interdependencies with each other. Usually I say digital doesn't work without IT, because IT is, uh, is providing the underlaying basis and technology. Okay. And, and you also have corporate IT and, and then divisional IT. I understand there's like 400 people or so in corporate IT and 400 in... How is that organized? Is that per business unit then? Yes, it is organized per business unit. Like every division has its own IT. Mm -hmm. While the, they do some business specific things for their div division, but they heavily rely on corporate IT and corporate technologies that we as corporate IT provide. And I wouldn't say that they belong to me. This is not the, the point and it is not necessary like that. It's mm -hmm. more like that we have the understanding that we are one IT community. Of mm -hmm. course, this will have to enforce and uh, uh, we can do a better job here. But again, here at the end of the day, it is the IT world and the IT guys, be it in a division or be it in corporate or be it in digital, that is serving the company that is fulfilling a purpose that is providing a project, a product, a solution or a service. And it is more like uh, going into this, uh, what I said right in the beginning, this, this Zeiss family. We mm -hmm. belong to the same family and we're all IT and it's not the good IT and the bad IT. That was probably years ago when it was in the press everywhere like a, like a shadow IT and all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. I know all these stories, but here at Zeiss, we want to go into the direction saying it's one IT. Okay, and, and what's your, your sourcing strategy? I mean, are you heavily insourced? Are you, um, you uh, heavily outsourced? How, how do you organize that, that aspect, the people aspect of, uh, of things? It, it's both and it's changing, you know? Um, we're coming from a, a fully outsourced world, I would say. Okay. Have then started to, to heavily insource mm -hmm. and then also keep outsourcing elements. And uh, nowadays, I would say we got to find the right balance or the, the right sourcing mix. There are certain things that make a lot of sense 
to outsource. But there are also certain things that make a lot of sense to insource or to keep inside. No. And there's probably not good or bad or right or wrong. You have to reflect uh, the company's culture here. You have to reflect uh, what the what the environment here is is requesting. And uh, you also need to to see that uh, d different people have different opinions here. You know, like mm -hmm. what was good in the past and decided um, may not be good today anymore. But there are influencing factors that have been changed. And now, yeah. taking a look at today's world, uh, you may revise this decision. Uh, finding the right sourcing mix, though, is still difficult, as uh, that goes back to your question of how do you hire talent. Sometimes, if you don't get the people, the work is there and the work needs to get done. So uh, you'll have to then outsource something which you probably don't want to outsource for the reason that you don't have to people to do it. Okay, because I can imagine that nowadays that we work with more in, 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 in a collaboration mode with DevOps and, 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 and so on and so on, where the way that, that with short development cycles and, and so on, that also that had an impact on how we, how, we, how we organize our sourcing strategy. Is that correct? Partly. I would say um, taking a look from the inside out, I mm -hmm. would be fully with you. You know, this organization into DevOps or DevSecOps or all these kind of things is a must. Uh, going into swarms and agile. But again, here, find the right balance. Um, I do not want to see a 100% Agile organization. This is not going to work. Agile mm -hmm. is a fantastic methodology to do certain things, but not everything should be done in an Agile way. Mm -hmm. And so is it with the other things that you said as well. DevOps is helping here to get, um, to get war rooms together or task forces together and make sure to have the end-to-end -end view on things that uh, you develop something which will then be maintained and orchestrated, operated afterwards the same way with probably the same people, but not to throw it over the fence. Here we go to digital and IT again, that old discussion, you know, those guys have developed something and now they don't want to deal with it. They throw it over the fence of IT and then the IT guys have to take care of it. This is old school. This is old. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what you say. Um, this is a trend from the inside, how to organize uh, IT people or IT organizations. Going to the outside, I'm a little bit hesitant to say, you know, we could do uh, DevSecOps with uh, contracting partners, outsourcing partners as well. In theory, I could see that point, but I haven't seen a lot of um, best practice where this is really done without uh, finger pointing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your role as CIO. Um, Kirsten, what is it that, if you look at your agenda, let's, let's maybe look at it from that end. What is, where do you spend most of your time? What's fundamentally your role in the organization today? Well, let me rephrase it a little bit, um, Hendrik. It's, it's not my role per se, it's the role of IT. Mm -hmm. um, the role of IT is and will probably, in my opinion, at least be two-folded um, in future as well. You know, on the one hand, it is keep the lights on. This is the basis foundation. And again, um, this is operational work that needs to get done. And uh, this is what needs to be working. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, the role of IT is, 
is being the business enabler. Yes, it is being the trusted advisor. It is being the partner of choice. So if the business wants something, uh, they, could, they, they, they should go to IT and ask IT, you know, I've heard about that technology. Is this something which is good for us? Or I, I, I have a project that I want to talk about. Go to IT. And this is the, the second role. If you mm. want to talk to my role specifically, my role is a little bit more like orchestrating on the one hand, but on then on the other hand, make sure that the people are able to do their job by giving them the money that they need, giving them the resources that they need, talking to the executive board and make sure that we get the funding, get the, that we get our strategy improved, uh, approved, that we get our sourcing mix approved and also our money spending mix. Where do we want to spend money on and get the, the, the funding and the budget? That is my role. Okay. How would you describe your management style? How is it that you attract and retain and grow people? Make, how do you make your team successful? What's, what's, uh, what's your best practices there? I don't know whether there's a, a explicit term for my management style. It's more like mm -hmm. um, I believe in collaboration and cooperation. And then, of course, in, in control. It's a question of delegation and empowerment, but also control. You know, at the end of the day, you have to make sure that things are, are, are getting done. But mm -hmm. don't tell the people how to do it. You know, there are a lot IT people that know IT in their area better than I do. And I do not claim to know everything best or be the guy who knows everything. It's more like help the people do, do the best in their own job and uh, get those people consult me with a, with a decision-making process. Yes, at the end, um, someone has to take a decision. My management style here is that I that I ask the experts and the managers underneath um, my area and then uh, discuss their proposals, discuss their pre-alignments and their recommendations and either mm -hmm. say, I could really, really live with what you say or for whatever reason, we got to have a different decision to be taken here. That is yeah. my management style. Okay, so um, pretty collaborative management style, I, I would say, and which is the modern way to, uh, to manage and make teams uh, successful, of course. Let's talk about your leadership style. And because I think there's a difference between being a manager and, and being a leader and a good CIO also needs to be an, an excellent leader as well. So what is your leadership style? And, and, and what is it that you think that your people will say about your leadership style when, you, uh, when you're not there? Well, you should probably um, ask my people when I'm not there what they talk about me. <laughs> but um, I think the leadership style is um, reflecting on that collaboration thing. It's more like inspirational, motivational, and uh, communicational, I would say. You know, mm -hmm. this is the leadership style and uh, um, bring the people together, make sure that they have their surroundings that they feel comfortable with. and. Um, Make sure that uh, we are making progress. Make sure that decisions are being taken by the teams themselves. Or then if I have to, I will take the decision. And that is also probably something you will hear those people when they talk about me. Um, I, I really um, do what I say and I say what I do, basically. And mm -hmm. at the end of the, 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 the day, they will say that I am a decision maker. Because there is one thing that you should not do, and that is 
not to take a decision, even yeah. if you do a wrong decision. And you know, I've done that before. Yes, uh, sometimes it really is better to take a decision. And by that time, it might have been a good decision. Uh, taking a look back then after two years or whenever, uh, there is new information available or new surroundings or whatever, which may imply that this decision was not the best decision in the world. So then mm -hmm. you may have the chance to revise it. And it is not a bad thing. But it would have been a bad thing to just wait another two years for a pending decision. Okay. Interesting that you, um, that you find the decision taking so, so, so important. And of course it is. Um, because we, we use the MBTI profile personality type as, as a common thread in our interviews. And you shared with us that your personality type is you're an ENFJ, a protagonist. And so typically protagonists are warm, forthright uh, people that love helping each, uh, others. And they tend to have strong ideas and values. And they back their perspective with creative energy to achieve their goals. And, and Karsten, I'm going to uh, look at your personality type from two different angles. First, I'm going to tell you what typically the strengths are of people with your uh, personality type and then the, the development area. So typically people with, your, uh, with an ENFJ personality, their strengths are that they are very re uh, receptive, very reliable, passionate, altruistic and charismatic. How does that sound to you? Does that uh, fit the bill here? I really think this does resonate with me. <laughs> that is right. Um, mm -hmm. To, to some extent, you know, um, sometimes I may be charismatic or maybe not. But um, um, when I was doing that test for you, I was really thinking um, those guys putting together this stuff uh, really now uh, know a lot about me. And uh, I could really find myself in that protagonist thing and the ENJF or whatever that was called. Mm -hmm. um, and it is it is right what you say. There are a lot of elements there that I see in my own beliefs, in my own values, where I say, yes, uh, what this described about those personalities uh, is described about myself as well, yes. Okay, now we come to the interesting part, your development areas, your weaknesses. As, as, a, as a top CIO, you have to develop in the areas where naturally you're not necessarily that strong. And that sometimes people with your personality type, they can be unrealistic. They can be overly idealistic. They can look down. They can be condescending on other people. They can sometimes be too intense or, or overly em uh, empathetic. So which one of these resonate and how have you overcome these, uh, uh, these weaknesses? I would say I have all of them, yes. <laughs> How to overcome them? Um, I don't know, know whether you are able to overcome these kind of things as they're like values inside yourself or things how you have been raised or grown up or something. But mm -hmm. um, um, it is always helpful to know about those weaknesses and strengths, of, of course, as well. And uh, then see in a in a situation where something like this is going to happen, that you know about it, oh, what I just said might be a little bit too unrealistic, or mm -hmm. you know, I may be too harsh with this with this um, thing reflecting on that or something. And this is not necessarily how to overcome it, but uh, then again, 
find uh, uh, the right balance or sit back a little bit, lean back a little bit and, okay, um, now let me rephrase it, what I just said. I see that uh, my communication was, was a little bit irritating or something. This mm -hmm. is the way, if you ask me, on um, how to deal with that. Okay, you talked about values already, so, so let's, let's jump to that. What are the, the core values that you live by? What are the values that are really important in your life? Well, I, I've, been, I've been raised or I've been born with values inside me and raised. And, and, and of course, I want those values to be reflected and also to be served. And uh, there are primarily three values that, that are in my mind here. One is honesty. I, I really believe that honesty is a value that is um, um, very important in your life. The other one is reliability. You know, if you make a promise, uh, you should keep that promise. It is okay not to read shit, but then um, talk about it prior to, let's say, the deadline, for example. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. by the way, I promised to give you that and that, and then the day is coming and I don't have it. So don't go to that day and say, uh, I forgot about it. And then the third one is trust. Trust mm -hmm. is something that you have to earn. I know about that, yes. But there's a general trust that you should give people upfront and that you should receive upfront. We are in a world where we have to trust each other because there is no control instance that knows everything and knows everything better and then controls everything. Okay, what is it that really drives you in your work and in, and in your life? What is it that, uh, say, what needs to happen so that at the, the end of the week you're, you're content and you, uh, you, uh, you had a good week? I think it's, it, it's, it's dedication, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to my job and mm -hmm. um, I think you can feel it if you see me in my job and if you talk to me. And um, this is something... Uh, that I have always um, talked about, like, you know, um, I, I have been grown up with computers. I have done my hobby to become my profession. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, you have to burn for it. And this, this burning fire, if you ask me, this is it what, uh, what gives me the energy, what, what drives me and makes me happy at the end of the week if something did get accomplished or if a problem got solved. And if not, we'll solve it next week, yes. But um, it's this energy level, it's this, this, uh, th this purpose there as well. Yeah. Now you're in this business for 25 years or a bit longer. Uh, so I can imagine that you have encountered inspiring people. So let's talk about the mentors that you have uh, in your life. Who are the people that you look up to, the people that you learn from, or the people that you would call uh, mentors? And, and can you give an example what you learned from, uh, from them? Yeah, there, there are many people I look up to, of course. They are not necessarily then a mentor, but uh, people mm -hmm. I look up to are like um, Steve Jobs, for example. I mean, like being an IT guy, I think we all look up to Steve Jobs, but it's also... Uh, um, other people like um, Simon Sinek, who did the, mm -hmm. the, the thing with the golden circle and explained, you know, how to do storytelling or how to embrace emotions and make emotions part of your life, part of your, your business life, the, the why, the, 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 the how and the what, which, mm -hmm. which is a totally different way 
of telling stories or telling um, how you should do things or why you do things. These are people I would certainly look up to or, or Hasso Plattner, the old boss of SAP, um, who was sort of in like the same position like me, um, that with his interest, uh, he created that company and which is his baby and everything. Um, unfortunately, I did not have that luck to do that. But I feel the same way, like um, I was grown up with that and, and, and I do what I have been doing my entire life and love and live for it. Taking a look at my mentors or my mentor, there is one example, as you want to call it like that, uh, which was one of my old bosses when I was back in my earlys um, at like Constance in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, he was the CIO of that organization. And I always wanted that kind of position. It, it was, you know, you're sitting there being the IT guy and he's the CIO and you think, this is a great job and he can do all the decisions and he knows mm -hmm. everything and stuff like that. Nowadays, I, I understand that this role is also different. <laughs> but at that time, I always dreamt of that position. And uh, he became my mentor and uh, he also helped me growing. But uh, my learning curve there was, you know, I was impatient to make the next step. As when mm -hmm. you're young, you are probably impatient and you want you want that career ladder, that path and, and stuff. And he sort of like, uh, sort of said like, uh, you know, sit back and relax and do a good job. And uh, if you do a good job, um, people will notice that you do a good job and this window of opportunity is going to come. And uh, this is something that really happened, you know. I, I, I did that and it happened to me. I, I, I did get a promotion and then I was promoted again. and. The entire story, it all went out like that. And today, now I am the mentor for some people. Mm. And, 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 and I tell you what, I give them the same um, example. I give them the same advice because yeah. I really believe it is true what he said. Okay. Now, Kerstin, do you have a, a personal mantra, a saying that helps you to make, I don't know, decisions or to think, help you to, to think about things in the right way? What, what's your personal mantra? Yeah, well, that might be, let's say, old school. But mm -hmm. that personal mantra certainly is this uh, love it, change it or leave it. I believe that uh, um, if you do love the things you do, um, you will succeed in some respect. Mm -hmm. um, there are situations where things are not nice anymore and you have the chance or you should try to change it. It, mm -hmm. will, it will happen or it will not happen, but at least you did have the chance to give it a try to change it. And mm -hmm. if it's just not going to work out anymore for whatever reason, and this, this happens, it's not a bad thing, then you'd better leave it and do another thing, let's say. Okay, that's great advice. Love it, leave it, I oh, know. Love, Love it, change it, change it or, or leave it. it. Love it, change it or leave it. Very, very cool. So let's talk about some important moments in, in your personal life, your professional life. What's the, if you reflect back a little bit, what is, what is maybe the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life? I, I, I believe there are many best things that can happen in one's life. Like uh, mm -hmm. you meet the love of your life, you get married or the birth of a child and, and things like that. But uh, going into the work-related world, um, the best thing that happened to me was 
when I was sent over to the US as an expat mm -hmm. um, to do my job there, uh, this is the best thing that ever happened to me, work-related, because I was able in that time to learn many things. Things about IT and the IT world, things about the culture with the US, things about a global organization like do's and don'ts, and then of course, language-wise, you know, if you want to speak a language, it is always helpful to be surrounded by native speakers. Okay. Now, maybe from an example from personal life, what, what are some of the worst things that have happened to you and, and, and what did you learn from that, if you're willing to share that? Well, um, again, here there are probably many worst things that can happen. And I'll, I'll give you two examples, one of my private life. The worst thing that happened to me was um, when my dad passed away in 2018. You know, that mm -hmm. is something you, you cannot imagine um, how worse this is. And it, it can get worse, I believe. But um, going into the job-related work or uh, work-related or job-related world, there is also um, some things that are going bad or are going um, into the worst thing. But I wouldn't say there is this one worst thing that happened. It's mm -hmm. more like um, you do many failures, you do many mistakes, such as you hire the wrong person or you let go the wrong person. You take the wrong decision on something. Um, yeah. um, these are the things that, 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 that happen and that are bad and maybe there is one of the worst things they're, they're in as well. But the learning is um, twofolded. One is take the responsibility for that, you know. Don't mm -hmm. hide and say, you know, it's not my fault. I, I, I would have done it a different way if I were to do it or, or if I were to decide it upon again. And the other way would be um, here again, at the end of the day, you have to make sure that uh, um, um, if you fail, you fail fast and you get the learning curve out of that and try not to make the same mistake again. It is okay to make mistakes, even bad mistakes, but try not to do them again and again and again. Okay. Now, in your life, what is it that, you're, that you fear most and what is it that you love most? Uh, I certainly fear most um, sort of uh, the end of the world, you know. It's not like... Um, the world is going to fall apart. But mm -hmm. um, take, take a look into the future in the next 100, 150, 200 years. Um, what is the environment um, human beings are going to live in? Are we going to have enough clean water, drinking water? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have an environment where people can live in? What about temperature, sunlight, and, and, and all these kind of things? I have no idea, you know, there are science fiction movies around this all the time. And as I have no idea what is going to happen there, this is certainly something where I would say, uh, I fear about um, is the world going to be there um, in future? Yes, it's not going to fall apart within the next, I don't know, million years or something. But how is life going to be there? And what do you love most? Well, what do I love most? It's, it's, I would say, the opposite, sort of. It's like um, um, being mindful or mindfulness. Uh, um, take care of your environment, take care of nature, 
and take care of creatures. Um, this is, this is uh, something I believe in, uh, w which is one of the most important things in life. And this is why I would say, or as you say, what is it that you love most? Okay. So, Karsten, thank you so much for your time and, and, uh, and, and for being and for here with us and for sharing all your experiences and your views. Uh, and I wanted to, uh, to finish um, with asking you, what is the advice that you would give to younger people that also become a top digital leader, that also want to become a CIO of a big, uh, a big corporate? What is that you could share with them? Um, along those lines, Hendrik, what I said about my mentor earlier, it, it's sort of going into that direction, you know. Um, um, show your dedication, show your reliability, and show your commitment. These are the things that, uh, that help the organization, that help IT making progress. And uh, all CIOs uh, need to see people that they can rely on. Reliability is that one thing that we all are asking for because we do not want to get surprised. In particular, not when you are like standing in front of the executive board or something and something happens or you don't have the right information or you have been lied to or you don't know the story and all these kind of things. It, it, all, ha it all happens everywhere. But uh, mm -hmm. that would be that one advice with the reliability, the commitment and uh, hang in there, I would say. And uh, again, love the thing that you do because you will have many, many years to do a job. And uh, the more you love your job, the easier it is for you to do the job. Okay. And on that note, Karsten, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to meeting you uh, soon again. So very welcome. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have dinner here in Mechelen. We need to arrange uh, for that. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so thank you for your time and, uh, and see you soon. Thank you, Hendrik. Talk soon and goodbye. Bye-bye.